Hey, and welcome to the Furnace Podcast. To know us, we are a YWAM community based by the sea in the beautiful city of Tauranga, New Zealand, where our vision is to equip you for a sustained life of intimacy with God, leading to an eternal impact in the world around you. Kia ora, everybody. Welcome back to the Furnace Podcast. If you're joining us for the first time, Welcome. Uh, it's awesome to have you on. My name is James Dixon. I'm part of the furniture here at Wawin Furnace. And uh, I'm here joined in the studio by an incredible uh, friend and one of our absolute champion leaders here at Wawin Furnace, the man, the myth, the legend from Wanganui, <laughs> New Zealand, Mr. Marty Emmett. It's good to have you in the studio, bro. Thanks, James. Good to be here, bro. <laughs> For those listening, I lived uh, about an hour away from Wanganui, this obscure small town in New Zealand. <laughs> um, it's awesome, bro. I just love love your story. It's and awesome. um, Marty, for those uh, who, who aren't familiar with them, leads YWAM Ships Aotearoa, uh, part of yeah leadership, as I mentioned, here mm. at YWAM Furnace, leading alongside Mr. Josh Cole. And um, yeah, bro, I'm just really excited to, to just be in the room with you, man. Awesome, just hear bro. your heart. Yeah, thanks, man. It's a joy to be with you. That's Love awesome. it. So just to kick us off, I guess, to get people familiar with your story, mm. your, your personal journey, how did the Kiwi bloke from Wanganui end up in YWAM <laughs> leading a ship ministry, bro? And how did, you, how did you come, firstly, how did you come to Jesus? And yeah. then how did you land where you are today? Yeah, awesome, Jimmy. Hey, um, yeah, so I often ask myself the same question, a little kid from the out, outskirts of Wanganui, uh, Raised on a farm, raised in a great family, Christian family. You know, church was always central in our family. Uh, raised in a good Bible-believing home. Uh, so youth group church, that was really consistent throughout our family story. Uh, but it really wasn't for me till university. I went to university in Christchurch uh, to do engineering school. Um, and first year, all I can say is had a pretty radical encounter with Jesus as the personal wow. saviour. Yeah. I think I was grounded really well in biblical truth and the, the tenets of Christianity. Yep. Um, but somehow I missed the part where he's personal, intimate. And so I had a pretty significant encounter late August 1970. No, that's when I was born, 1978. <laughs> uh, 1997, I think it was. Yes. Yeah, 1997, first year university. And that just I was changed three years old. every wild. Yeah, <laughs> wow, that's great. Um, yeah, that that just changed everything. I uh, went forward to an altar call at a church in Wellington that oh. I was uh, visiting with a friend on the way through, and uh, all I remember was this voice on my head saying, "Son, you don't know me. I want you to know me." And the thing I've had to think about, you know, being a good Christian kid growing up, like I don't really have a before Jesus story. Yeah, uh, was that the only way I can theologically land at who that was, was it was Holy Spirit saying, son, you don't know me. Because I knew Jesus and Father God was well introduced to me. Yeah. But in my theological tradition, I was raised in very conservative, strong in Bible, but very low in you know, Holy Spirit as the living God. Mm. I didn't really know Holy Spirit. So I think what happened that night was Holy Spirit, you know, part of the triune God, equal God, uh, the one who Jesus said, it's better that I leave because he will come. Um, that's when I met him. Wow. And that, that you don't know me, I want you to know me, that changed everything. So I went forward to the old school that night, got prayed for by the associate pastor at City Elam in Wellington, 
And uh, that just released in me this hunger for God that's never waned. So, yeah, everything changed. So the whole reason I was at university was to take over the family business um, from my dad. Uh, this awesome construction company that uh, my grandfather and his brother had started. They'd passed it down to their two sons, his son each. So my gra- my granddad and his brother. Yeah. And uh, sorry, my father and his cousin took over the business yep. from their two dads. And then I was going to university to come back and be the third generation in my wing of the family in that business. And the Lord just quite clearly changed my direction into ministry. Wow. And so through university, just started developing this hunger for broken people. Used to go every Friday night to the square in Christchurch and uh, give out food to homeless people and do street evangelism. And uh, Did you ever come across the wizard oh, down there? Yeah, well, he's normally daytime. Yeah. So we'd normally go nighttime, but yeah, we'd often go in the daytime as well. He was a character. For those who don't know who the wizard is, he's a uh, character who's... Uh, based himself down in Christchurch and for years and years would go out in the uh, yeah. in the public square and would debate, particularly with Christians, when they just yeah, share yeah. his opinions and anti-Christ uh, kind of yeah. agenda. <laughs> very, yeah, very much. But when you get to know him, he was just a, he was just a normal bloke. Totally. Why is he called yeah. the wizard? Is it because he, he would dress like a wizard? Dressed right? like a wizard, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I think he was more of an actor than anything. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, that, <laughs> that was on. formative for me in those spaces, eh? like just being with people. And realizing the love of God, you know, how do you carry that passionate heart for God and then you find his compassion for people and learning what to do with it? Yeah. So, yeah, that was formative for me those years. So I finished my degree and then really have been in YWAM ever since. So wow. uh, next month will be 21 years of full-time in YWAM. That's incredible, man. Mm. So you literally, I mean, you were presented with, uh, this, this incredible opportunity to take over a family business, which yeah. would have landed you in... A lot of cash and uh, a lot of <sighs> a lot of potential. Uh, yeah, potential. a lot absolutely. of potential. Absolutely. Um, what was that like having to make that decision? Was that <laughs> hard at the time? Or no, it was the most joyful moment. I mean, so let me explain how the Lord spoke that. So it was second year of university, right in the mid semester break. Would have been July. All I can say is I went to sleep on Sunday night, woke up Monday morning, and somewhere in there, the it was like Jesus walked into my sleep and all he said to me was no. And I woke up in the morning and I knew exactly what he was speaking about. He was saying no to my lifelong dream of working with my dad and then taking over the business in some capacity. Man. And I woke up so joy-filled, so full of hope. I had no idea what it meant. All I knew what it, I knew what it meant in terms of that door was shut, but I didn't know. But I was so in love with God at the time, um, that I didn't care. Wow. I just thought, man, well, you must have something better. So, no, it was easy. So he had your vision. A hundred percent. your ambition. He had my heart, so nothing else mattered. Man. And uh, beautiful, man. it's one thing I love. I, I know what I've been called from. I've counted the cost. And um, it's not always easy. Mm. But that's why I know that... Um, I, I'm called to do what I, what me and my wife do, what our family do, because I know what we've laid down. Yeah, and I've discovered in God that He's so much more than all of that. Yeah, and uh, so it's not hard to say yes to Him every day. That's awesome, man. And has that continued to 
flow through your life i guess like it's easy to say oh yeah no, that, that moment yeah, yeah, yeah. the enemy obviously you know he oh, presents totally. us many other opportunities oh, i think that's where as you know working a lot with young people that's where young people can stumble they think it's an event but it's actually a lifelong daily process eh? i hate the word process but that's re- it really is what it is yeah, yeah. a daily commitment to walk in relationship with your creator wow and uh i remember years ago holy spirit saying to me because one of my leaders back in the day when that first season of, of coming into that intimate friendship with the Holy Spirit, one of my leaders was like, um, he would question my consistency. He was in, uh, we had a great, interesting relationship. And I just remember one night the Holy Spirit saying to me, son, if you just choose me tomorrow, you'll still be in love with me in, in a decade. And I just, that, I remember sitting in our Sunday night youth, minute, youth night when the Lord spoke that to me. And I just went, I can do that. I can say yes tomorrow. That's easy. I don't know about 10 years from now. Yeah. I mean, now I'm looking back over 20 years going, that wasn't that hard. Mm. But back then as a 20-year-old mm. looking into my 30s going, man, that's a long way away. Yeah. But he just said, just say yes tomorrow. And so I've just done 20 years of saying the daily yes. I love that. And uh, it really isn't anything more complicated. I love how simple that is. Yeah. Pretty simple bloke, bro. Us Wanganui folk, we're pretty simple, bro. Harwood is a bit more sophisticated. Oh, Harwood, if you don't know where Harwood is, centre of New Zealand. No. <laughs> Even more of something, obscure. probably. <laughs> we, we would always term Harwood as the only hole that exists above ground. <laughs> bro, anyway. Palmerston North can compete. <laughs> Jokes. Oh, you got to love where you're from. Amen, you do, bro. <laughs> they mock Jesus for being the Nazarene. Yeah. Can any good come from Nazareth? How good. Can Absolutely. any good come from Wanganui? Well, that's what they say. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> oh, man, I love that. I just go back to what you were saying about how simple, like just that mm. say yes tomorrow. Mm. Um, I think our, our generation particularly, and, and especially this emerging generation, mm. need to hear that. Yeah. Where we think it is, like you said, at an event. Like, yeah. It's easy to go along to say the this end and put your shoes up in the air and say, oh, we'll go. And we love that stuff. And that's awesome. And that's, yep. there's something like biblical about making commitments to the Lord, making yep. those vows. But it's like that vow still has to be said tomorrow in your heart. When you get out of um, the bed. It's, it's so good. Yeah. And I think that's some point where our, my generation, although I don't think I'm old, I'm realizing yeah, my oldest kids are 15 now. So I am getting older. Young at heart, bro. Oh, sometimes I question that now too, bro. I feel a bit <laughs> old and achy and tried to go for a run the other night. My knee started hurting, so I had to stop. I'm like, holy smokes, I'm this that is question guy. though. How old do you feel internally? You know, oh, like your body might be a certain age. Oh, I need a, give me a week holiday and answer, answer that question. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm learning, you know, we've got we've to share more of that stuff with young people. Like 15-year-olds yep. need to know that loving God is that simple. Yeah. And I think sometimes we we get so ingrained in our 20-year journey, 30-year journey, whatever decades of loving God, and we forget to communicate the simple stuff because we get so full of revelation, decades of pursuing God, and you get full of this beautiful insights and there's so many layers to Scripture that you get, but we forget to go, like for me, my 15-year-old twin boys, it's this simple, guys. Just say yes to Jesus today. And then tomorrow when you wake up, do it again. Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah, because we can get so religious, eh? Oh, 100%. And you, you don't feel religious because you've fought against it so much mm. in your own life. Mm. But to your 15-year-old, you used to appear religious and mm-hmm. irrelevant. And that's so confronting when they look at you and go, I don't know what you're talking about. 
And I'm like, oh, man, I, rem- I vaguely remember being like you. Yeah. Because when I was 15, I'd fall asleep at church. Mm-hmm. You know, it had no interest in, yeah. you know, I went because that's what we did. Well, at least you were in church. I was there. Way. I was in there, but I was asleep <laughs> in the back row. Uh, anyway, praise the Lord. Awake, you sleeper. Yeah. <laughs> if I was, yeah, I just need the preacher to yell a bit more, but my church, you didn't do stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> Quite monotone. Oh, man. Well, I just really want to take a minute to honor you, but I know I should have done this from the start, but just to honor you for your, for your yes, mm. the fact that you're still here and that you're, 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 you're continuing uh, to swing the axe, it's like Noah when he was, you know, cr- yeah. uh, building the ark. Gotta like he, Noah, he, right? at one point, he had to cut down the tree to then yeah. create the wood, which then yeah. would create the ark. And I think, of, like for a hundred years, he did that, and he faithfully stewarded that call, yeah. even though everyone ridiculed him and thought he was a nutter. What a hero, eh? Absolutely. And I just want to say, like Marty, and and, and to, to to thank you for just being that in my generation. Oh, thanks, um, James. The, uh, it's actually quite funny because our story interlinks a little bit. Does with, I? Uh, we're probably going to get to this a bit later, but uh, yeah. around the Impact World Tour, which yeah, you yeah, yeah. helped steward. Should we just jump there? Are you ready for that? Or how right. did you, okay, you go from, go from you got saved, you 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 met the Lord yep. in in a real way at, uh, in university, mm. and then what? How how did it go from there? How did your journey? Yeah, progress? so really after university, I, I I ended up doing a missions trip. So last exams to finish my last year of university, my structural engineering degree. And then I jumped on a plane, flew to Africa and did four-week mission trip in Zambia. Zambia. Um, there is an inner African in me, eh? Like if you trace my real spiritual lineage, there's Africa right in the heart of it because that's where I encountered a living God. Wow. Uh, I was in Zambia. Man, I just – I met people that knew God in a way I never knew was possible. So, like, when you meet people that are the most joy-filled and have nothing, that is so conflicting to us as Westerners because yeah. we equate happiness to stuff. But there where there was no stuff, but the most attractive, provoking joy I've ever seen, it made me go, who is this God they believe in? And that, that really, on top of everything I'd been walking the three and a half years previous, that wrecked me that was my jacob meeting wrestling the angel you know i've been limping ever since moment wow so i came back from that and ended up i did a season of work with my dad uh because i had to to finish my degree uh practical experience and so i did six months with working with my dad linked arms with him for a season had a lot of work in the business and uh so i went yeah i'll lock in give me i'll give you six months dad because we're commanded to honor our parents and so I said, yeah, I'll, I'll jump in, Dad. But July 1st, 20, 2001, you'll release me into what I feel God's calling me to. And we had this beautiful moment. Yep, I release you. So I gave him six months. Um, and then Ju- July 1st, 2001, I, I moved back to Christchurch, jumped in with my church I'd been attending when I was at university. And all I did was serve for about 10 months in wow. the youth ministry. Wow. Uh, eventually they called me the youth, uh, the youth leader Never called me youth pastor, but I led the youth ministry. Yeah, and all I did was just pour my life into young people. Uh, some of them were Christian kids, so I'd disciple them every week in my home. They'd come before youth group, and I'd do a Bible study with them. We'd have dinner, then we'd go do our youth ministry, which is mainly an outreach to at-risk youth. And these were the roughest of the roughest. Um, they were awesome kids, man. 
actually just totally random. I just one kid just reached out to me in a few months ago that used to come to our youth group who was in the youth justice system. So most of the kids we worked with were basically on their way to prison. Yeah. In the youth in the youth system still though. And so the Lord gave me a real favor with these young people, their families. I had more privileges with the kids in youth detention centers than their families did. Um, it was phenomenal. Uh, but this one kid, Chris, reached out to me recently. Marty, do you remember me? You know, I haven't heard from that kid in 22 years, 23 years nearly. He actually came and did Christmas holidays with my family one time. I brought him with me and another kid. It was so cool. Like he just said, Marty, what you did for me has changed me. I've never been the same. When he texted me, man, I just started weeping. Wow. Because you just don't know, hey, you never know yeah. the impact you can have on a young person. He was 14, 15. Man. In a real rough situation, rough home life, like just getting into trouble. Now he's competent, working, got a job, living life. Um, yeah, it was pretty cool. Isn't that awesome when you get those moments? I mean, no, like yeah. Jesus said, don't let your left hand know what no, your totally. right hand is doing. But like... We all love those moments where it's like, yes, I'm not doing this, but that bag. And you dream of that, eh? Yeah. You dream that like you can have a touch on someone's life that can impact them. Yeah. But when you actually hear it decades later, yeah, I was undone by that. That's awesome. But it was in that season where um, leaders, the leaders of YWAM in New Zealand and Impact World Tour started coming across the nation and sharing this vision of Impact World Tour in New Zealand. And honestly, I would read the information, you would see it around some churches in New Zealand, and everything in my heart would leap, like, that's my dream. And then my conflicted theology at the time would, this is literally internal conversation, that's my dream, God would never let me do that. Like in my head, it was too good, too perfectly me. I had such a sadistic view of God. Wow. Man, it was gross. Wow. So... About six months later, the Lord just quite strongly, my life's mostly an openness to God, but God having to force me into things. It's quite hilarious how he yeah. has to override my will. I love free will. I'm a big believer in the yeah. free will, but I'm actually a greater believer in God's leadership. And I've really, uh, I, I want him to override my free will. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, May 2002, I jumped in with Impact World Tour, moved to Auckland, did a training school. Wow. I left 95% of my earthly positions in Christchurch. I've never seen them since. I don't know where they are, um, but I just packed up and left. It was like this whirlwind. By the time I got to Auckland, the three and a half grand I needed was in my bank to pay for the school. I had no money. That's a different story. I was living like a YWAMA before I came into YWAMA. I just didn't know it yeah. um, in the sense of I had no income. And the Lord told me I wasn't allowed to ask anyone for money. He said, I want to teach you that I can provide. Awesome. It was wild. Um, so we, got, we, we all love those stories of God's provision. We don't yeah. love the journey. We love the hindsight the stories. Eh? Yeah. I'll always remember the moment I got in my car and there was an envelope sitting in my car with a few hundred dollars in it. I'm like, how did that get in my car? Or someone would pay my rent for me. Who did that? And no one would confess. Oh, anyway, I love, love the awesome. ways of God. Yeah. And so that was when I met Joshy Cole. He was one of the first guys I met, Josh Cole. and. Yeah. He walked into my room, introduced himself, and I just went, I think I can like this guy. And uh, How old were you guys at this point? I think I was 20, so it was 2002 May, so I'm just short of my 25th birthday. So I'm 24, yep. so he must have been 20, 21, 22. We're in that kind of window. Yeah. We're about three years apart, so 
yeah, and that just locked us in. Impact with New Zealand. Uh, so we did two years together in that. That's awesome. Just went in the trenches together. Yeah. I think it's the best best place to form a friendship. Yeah. Get on a mission together. Link arms and just go to battle. Yeah. yeah. And that's what sealed our friendship yeah. to this day. Um, yeah, it's been beautiful. Yeah. But that was just a wild season, man. So tell us about the Impact World Tour uh, for those who, who maybe are unfamiliar yeah. with the story. I mean, let's go there. What what was the Impact World Tour and, and what I mean, was the impact? Yeah, so Impact World Tour really, it, I would say in many forms, the format it was then, it doesn't really exist now. It's kind of morphed, changed. I wouldn't say died out, but it's definitely changed. But yeah. it was really an attempt in YWAM to engage the next generation with a relevant presentation of the gospel through, you know, old school language, crusade evangelism. I really don't like the term crusade. It has such terrible connotations yeah. historically. Um, so we would call them evangelistic campaigns, but now yeah. campaigns so political, like everyone does political. Anyway. Through large-scale large events gathering where you'd gather a large number of people in towns and cities and publicly declare the gospel of Jesus with an opportunity to respond yep. using relevant means. And so that was the vision that I heard in 2001, December, and just went, that's the greatest thing I've ever heard. And so, yeah, we dived in and by um, when I got involved, there had been people working on it for years, two, three, four years in New Zealand. It was, And it just it took a long time to get snowball rolling um so yeah 2004 january 19th through early april we did a 12-week tour through new zealand i think 53 cities 100 and some nights of evangelism thousands of events right from in the cargill all the way up to kaitaia i uh, pretty much every major city in between i think we missed a couple of there was about three or four cities that the church said no which was fine. Um, it's pretty incredible that it was only three, though. That's it was wild. Yeah, it was wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because anyone was who maybe is tuning in who understands how hard it is just to gather even a couple of churches together sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> to and, be able and, to see. And the stories we were yeah. told, like when they first started talking, there was just no um, witness, no agreement, no excitement. There was no real faith around it that mm-hmm. there would even be a reason to do it. Like yeah. it was a real philosophy in the church that's kind of quite strong now but it was growing then around that model no longer is relevant model it's not a great way to engage there's no real fruit from mass evangelism yeah you know the billy graham model people call it you know yeah uh which i just just uh, i think if you look purely natural sure um but the thing i always find funny eh? if you take what was called church growth models and apply them to what jesus did Jesus was a failure. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, the guy had thousands gathered. I eh? mm. fed 5,000 men here, 4,000 men here. How many thousands followed him or heard his sermons? Yeah. Yet how many were in the upper room waiting? Hey, like, he was an abject failure, according to church growth models. Was it in the upper right? room? Yeah. So, what did he do wrong? Well, nothing. He knew what he was doing. Well, he had thousands one day and then the next day they come to him again and he's like, you don't want me. You want what I can do <laughs> you for you. You want what I can provide. You You enjoyed the bread. Exactly. And he goes, you like the free fish. You're going to eat is my body, my Bludges. flesh and my blood. And they're oh, all like. Oh, I love John 6. Oh, Jimmy, I love John 6. You can just see the disciples' hands in their faces like, what is he doing? 
The, no, not the not the eat my blood my body and drink my blood message. No, not now, Jesus. <laughs> but it's amazing, eh? Like so for us, that was just a real season of obedience. It was yeah. such a clear word of the Lord. Wow. And it was a bunch of kids like me. There was a few older, like gener- older generation uh, that were in it, but it was a bunch of twenty to twenty-five year olds crisscrossing the nation, working yep. with the church. So I personally worked in kind of central North Island. So I did eight cities between the three major ones being Gisborne, uh, New, uh, Hawke's Bay, Napier, Hastings, and Whanganui. Yep. And then there was five smaller towns, including Hawara, that I coordinated. So I basically did all the coordination, fundraising, church engagement, committee raising, training in those eight communities in um, that central region, which was the first three weeks of the tour of the 12 weeks we did. So we started in Gisborne, went to Whanganui, then went to Hawke's Bay. Um, with Whanganui, it was epic. I mean, we did three nights in Harwater, three nights in Whanganui, a night in Martin. And I'm pretty sure we did other places. I can't remember, but it was just so epic. I, I mentioned that our stories interlink because yeah. I was 10 years old when you came to Harwater with the team. Was I'll it? Always remember the day you told me the story. What was the team? GX. GX. Yep. What does that stand for? I've always tried to. So I think out. it started as Generation X. Yeah. Was the name because when Such it started, a, like early 2000s. Yeah. Name, well, everything so that, had X in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, exactly. Yeah. Because <laughs> that team started in the mid 90s. Oh, so, so good. Just coming out of Gen X, so all the leaders were like, you know, Gen X. I'm pretty sure it was that night that like sparked me. And wanting to become a skateboarder, actually. Yeah, so. would have, yeah. There <laughs> yeah, were um, some pretty good skateboarders yeah. in that team. Yeah. You guys brought a, brought a whole team of skaters and BMXers yep. and was it dancers as well? Yep. To My pack wife out. actually probably was dancing that night. Yeah, I could she imagine was a she probably was. Yeah, the night is, a, yeah. the memory's a little bit foggy, but I remember just being a yeah, 10 year old there with my mum my and my brother. And uh, yeah, this guy gets up at the end and was it Jesse? Jesse Fellas. Jesse Fellas gets up and starts preaching the gospel. Yep. And something in my heart, like I'd grown up going to church, but like something of that message of being out in the Come on. out among where the people are yeah. through relevant means of, of using skateboarders. Like Wild, who would have eh? ever thought, eh? Like, yeah. And, and just hearing someone talk about Jesus, something in my heart was like, I need to respond to this. Yeah. So I went forward that Come night on, bro. And uh, I still got the, the real life. Bible. Do you? From that, yeah. Still got the little letter <laughs> the that came with it. Tour. I mean, I, I think I, I, I fell away for like five or six years. I mean, I got into skateboarding, as I said, through yeah. that. So something good came from it. And then God obviously <laughs> laid hold of me uh, a few years down the line later. Um, but yeah. <laughs> it is amazing, man, how often we, I, I meet people or talk to people who, what's your story? And you start sharing. And Backward Tour. Oh. Oh my! Oh, yeah, we were there, and my 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 kids came to Christ. But they went forward to this altar call, or even recently, I talked to a retired politician. I uh, used to used to be in government here in New Zealand, and uh, he was like, we were talking about it. Then we had another phone call a week later, and he said, "Hey, I I totally forgot till I was cleaning out my garage and I opened a box and I was looking through some journals, and I read this page my wife wrote in the journal and said one of our kids responded." At a Team Extreme event, which was one of the other teams in Auckland back in Big 2004. Strong men breaking yeah, the bricks yeah, yeah, but, and yeah. preaching the gospel about Wild Jesus fellas. breaking the walls yeah, of sin. Yeah, ripping them. big phone books. Back in the day, we had phone books, yeah. the big yellow, Auckland yellow pages that were like so good. thick as, like 70 mil thick. Yeah. Ex politicians, sorry, carry on. Yeah, <laughs> and so he realized in reading that journal that one of his kids came to Christ at uh, Impact World Tour event. Wow. And that was just last year I met this guy. Wow. Um, 
I love that. I'm not surprised because how many how many ended up uh, coming? Yeah, recorded decisions like were like twenty three and a half thousand, like actual response cards wow. filled out throughout the nation. That's um, extraordinary. So for those who are maybe outside of New Zealand, New Zealand at that time would have been what four million people? Three point eight. Three point eight million. Yeah. So that's a significant number of Kiwis. Responding. I think live at events we recorded over three hundred thousand people. Wow. And then two of our evangelists got to go on two different TV programs live, one being the former 7 o'clock newsy show called Homes mm-hmm. with Paul Holmes. Paul Holmes. Who's no longer, in you know, peace, yeah, he's deceased now. So they got to share the gospel that night. Half a million people were watching that show. Wow. Three segments through the show. They got to break bricks, rip phone books, literal presentation of the gospel, half a million Kiwis. And then they got to go on What Now? And I think there was a two, three hundred thousand watching the show that morning when they got to on there. Which was so, like one of the the news. I mean, this is us like having like a New Zealand yeah, yeah. Kiwi kind of glory, <laughs> totally, you know, favorite Kiwi things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what now is like a kids show, really yeah, popular, yeah. right? Yeah. Real popular. I think it's still going. Is I, it? I don't know. I don't know. I've <laughs> lost touch. But it was wild, man. Um, yep. It was just a pure act of obedience, and I think some of it was the Lord is will still yet to see the full fruit of what God did. But I think some of what happened was the faith that came out of that uh, yeah. in the church, yeah, in the body of Christ, especially in Wanganui. Some of the yeah. feedback was, man, they they got stirred about what God wanted to do or could do. Yeah, um, well, impactful tour was really just a catalyst necessary totally. to gather the church around yeah, yeah. something on a on a similar yeah, vein, absolutely similar vision. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, I remember sitting with Josh Cole years later when back in 2019 to mm. to suss out whether we were to end up. I don't even know if we were looking at coming to Furnace at that point, <laughs> but I, he was like, what's your story? And I'm like, well, I got saved at the stadium gathering. He's like, oh, yeah, what stadium gathering? And I'm like, oh, and how would a He's like, was that the impact or two? And I completely forgot. And he was like, Bro, we organized that. And he was yeah. just like, He ah! was there that night. He was there that night. Because so. I was stuck in Wanganui. I couldn't even be there. What was the story that he was sharing? Of, of, of Was it a woman with a withered hand at that oh, night? Oh, something. Healed? There's so many stories. There's so yeah. many stories. What was like, if you could recount one of the most standout stories for you? I think one story, there's far, so many stories. Oh, bro, there's so many stories. But one that people in Wanganui tell me, remind me of, was Jesse Fellows, who you mentioned, who was one of the two main leaders of GX. And one of the two preachers, uh, Wong Inui night, it was the Saturday night, um, same week as Hawara. We're at Cook's Gardens in Wong Inui, and it just started raining cats and dogs. And like the show was about 12, 15 minutes in, and it just torrentially went like the first six weeks of that tour, it rained everywhere. Crazy thing is it never rained in an altar call. If it rained, it always stopped at the altar wow. call so we could get the decision cards filled Love out. That. It was so funny. That's awesome. So Jesse Fellas came out on the front. So there was the big stage in the skate park in the in front of it, if you remember. And it was a real big skate park because it was designed by a BMX guy, not a skateboard guy. So it was <laughs> with no thought to transport. It was the bane of our existence every week, moving that stupid skate park around the country. Anyway. There's so many logistics involved. I think that's what people don't realize when, they, when it comes to these events. Three 40-foot right? containers, two trucks. Oh, yeah, it was wild. That's insane. So Jesse stands on the front launch ramp and looks to the heaven in front of 5,000 people in Wanganui and he commands the rain to stop. He just stood on the thing. You know, Jesse's probably 28 at the time, young fella from Montana. He just says, in Jesus' name, I command you to stop. Literally, the moment that came out of his mouth, it stopped. 
It was torrential rain. And it was going to kill the show because the, the the production crew were freaking out about the electric and stuff. And, yeah. and he did that and it stopped. And you know everyone and listened to every word he said from then on. Like I remember how many hundreds came to Christ that night, but there was a phenomenal response to the gospel. And people from my home church where I grew up still mention that. Do you remember that night that young skateboarder commanded the rain to stop? I love that. How to get authority <laughs> at a stadium gathering, right? <laughs> that happened again in Wellington. We're at Basin Reserve. Uh, people, Kiwis might remember back then there was a 100-year storm that hit Wellington, February 2004. The lower North Island got hammered. So we're in Basin Reserve. There's 100-mile-an-hour wind coming sideways, like big, you know, 150 kg dudes were getting blown off the stage. It was that strong. My old friend uh, Jason Hotiri, one of the greatest guys I know, went to be with the Lord a few years ago. He was one of our evangelists in Team Extreme, big Mouldy fella um, from Auckland, but originally from the north. Uh, big uh, Napui boy. He was just well, I love Jace, and he was just on the stage. It was the opposite approach. Instead of commanding it, he just he walked from the middle of the stage down the stairs to the grass at Basin Reserve. And he just said, Jesus, he had this beautiful way, like childlike relationship with Jesus. He said, Jesus, there's people here. There's about 1,500 people in the, sta- in the stadium. That's the thing the foreigners could never understand on our team was Kiwis never left when it rained. They're like Americans would not have come, but every night thousands would come. And he just said, Jesus, there's people here that need to hear about you. Can you stop the rain? Can you stop the wind so I can tell them about you? And he's just walking. Over the, the microphone that point, he says this. He's on, on the microphone yep. and he's just walking th- to the front of the stage and then there's stairs at the front of the stage, you know, maybe five steps to the grass. By the time his foot touched the grass, the wind, 100 mile an hour, sideways, the, ra- the wind stopped and the rain stopped. That night, like 250 people came forward and responded to the gospel. And it was just because Jason said, Jesus, can you stop the rain, please? I'll never forget that night. Wow. Yeah, but he passed away a few years ago, which oh, I missed that pro, man. Chase was uh, one of the coolest dudes. That's awesome. Mm. But the fruit of his life, eh? Yeah, bro, absolutely. It's one thing in our, me and Josh often talk about, we need to see a new wave of Jay Hotiris. Yeah. Fiery, moldy evangelists yep. that walk in the fullness of the identity as tangata whenua and fire-breathing evangelists. What would you say if you were, you could say anything to maybe young Māori listening in or young indigenous folk um, who maybe feel like, mm. can God use me? What would you oh, say? Oh, man, we need you. I just think we need you. We need we need to know the way you know Jesus. I just think as Pākehā, we really got good at listening to ourselves. Pākehā means white people. Yeah, us white followers, Pālangis, we're just really good at listening to ourselves. But I think the way that indigenous know God is so different. Yeah, It's so unique. It's so compelling. It's so attractive and so offensive to our whiteness. Um, you're engaging a lot in Fiji right now, so learning to see how Fijians know Jesus. And it's just so attractive. Yeah, Like we need them. Like we need indigenous to lead us. And I just think there's so much. I see that happening where the Lord's actually restoring mana or respect or the right place of standing to mm. indigenous. Mm. And it actually is an arm and arm, not underneath the white anymore. Yep. And as white people, we need to come alongside and walk with 
not over. And I just think that's where we've gone wrong in missions so often. Yeah. We don't come alongside and uplift the local, the indigenous. So I think in New Zealand we just need 15-year-old fire-breathing Māori to lead us. Come on. To, to, to show us how they know God and love God. Yeah. And actually be the voice piece of that in the land. That's so good, bro. Mm. I think it's important too to remember that Jesus wasn't a European white. No, he wasn't. Palangi. He was an indigenous Hebrew. Hundred percent. A man of the land understood. He had a good tan. Yeah, he wasn't absolutely. a white fella. And his disciples did too. He yeah. took the gospel out like fiery. Yeah, he wasn't I mean, Scandinavian. He wasn't Western European. Wasn't North American. And we don't need to. I think as well, just to to, to really mention to to not be ashamed. I mean. A lot of the conversation and the woke camp at the moment, not to go all political, but it's to really uh, make sh- <laughs> us ashamed of our identity. And I think yeah. from both sides, from whatever <sighs> culture you're tuning in from, like be proud of the, There's something about the essence of being proud of who you are, where you come from, but it's important to remember where you come from um, and to honor yep. and acknowledge those. And I think if you look at that from heaven's view, I think we need to really understand Revelation 7, yeah. where before the throne of God, that picture. John saw of every nation, tribe, and tongue, and see that in heaven's eyes they see all as equal. Yeah, and that's actually how we need to see yeah. that. You know, before heaven, there's not a an order, a preferential order. The, he wants every all. He wants every nation, tribe, and tongue represented, every language group worshiping Jesus in their language before the throne. So, and I think nice. that's the end goal, right? Yeah. And if we don't start there and come back, we we get political. We get we're too quick to call things woke, I think. But I get what people mean when they say, oh, it's too oh, I mean, woke. That, that, that word has been overused and so, definitely connotates yeah. so much. But just oh, It's so ideological now, eh? But I think the essence of it is God longs for all. Yeah. So how are we engaged in that now? So good. Well, that's the, I, I believe that's part of the John 17 call of unity, right? 100%. Unity in the body of Christ. It's, it's not just unity within the church. It's unity within every tribe, every tongue, mm. every race. It's... It's not that we all have to agree, but I think oh. where, did, where did the whole concept of agree to disagree go, right? In our generation, I think we've kind of lost that with this cancel culture thing. Yeah. Well, it even comes into a longer conversation of what does unity actually mean? Yeah. What What are we to be unified around, eh? Mm. But that's a longer conversation. Oh, I mean, we could spend a whole conversation just talking about these things, but <laughs> in your journey, true, going bro. back to the story of IWT and mm. Pickle Tour and, and, and uh, how did then you end up at Wawem Furnace and now leading yeah, the story yeah. of Wawem ships out yeah. Hiroa. Yeah, I mean, I after New Zealand, I, I did DTS. I actually hadn't done the discipleship training school with Wawem. So I went to Australia and did a DTS in Aussie and then through that did outreach in South Africa. And then after that in 2005, went to America and served with Impact World Tour in North America. So I did eight years over there, which is where I got married to my wife, my American bride, Candice. Absolutely, and uh, yeah, she swooped me. She's the real hero in my story. She has to put up with me, you know. Like she lives with me. It's a it's a gift. She still loves me. I, it blows my mind. Um, you only you're seg- pretty lovable, Marty. Oh, I have my moments, James. That's true. <laughs> and so you did eight years over the over there. But all the whole time, we just knew at some point we were going to move back to New Zealand and work with Josh and Misty. Uh, we really felt that quite strongly. Um, it, we it really just was we're waiting on when. Not if. And so finally the Lord released us 2012, end of 2012. We came back and jumped in here January 2013. So the last 10 years been running with those guys. And it's been joyful. Um, 
been incredible. Uh, but then, so the whole ship thing came up oh, four years ago. So totally out of the blue. Uh, I really wanted nothing to do with ships. I, I love the guys that do YWAM ships. I think they're phenomenal. I still do actually. Uh, and I would really have a lot of respect for them, but a real commitment to not getting involved with ships um, for multiple reasons. Yep. Uh, but then what became a fly in the ointment that became very disruptive in my personal family story was four years ago a ship was gifted to YWAM here in New Zealand. And uh, at that time the leadership were mainly from Hawaii and so they felt the Lord to say receive the ship of YWAM Ships New Zealand, that, that YWAM Ships New Zealand, which was led mainly from Hawaii. They felt to receive the ship, steward the ship, but it wasn't for them yeah. was what the Lord said to them. They, they were to hold it as kaitiaki, as stewards, till someone in New Zealand stood up and took leadership of it. Yeah. So they just held it loosely going, hey, this is for you guys, but we'll hold it till someone takes it. I don't know what kind of leader does stuff like that, but that's pretty ridiculous. Um, yeah, so eventually YWAM Furnace, we put our hand up and said, we'll take it. So, yeah, so 20, August 2020, we took over leadership of the whole entity of YWAM Ships Aotearoa. And since then, honestly, it's been this wild journey of understanding God's heart for isolated, marginalized, you know, Matthew 25, where it talks about the least of these, mm. referring to how society views people. Yeah. Understanding God's compassionate heart that wants to reach to the one, you know, that would compel Jesus to put his disciples in a boat to go through the, across the lake in a storm just to minister to one demoniac. Yeah. And then get in the boat and go back. Like his passion for one. Yeah. That's what the journey of the last three, four years for me is understanding how far he would go for one. His compassion, his capacity to love one. And that's the whole essence of the of of the ship story is the drive to minister the heart of God to one isolated person that can change that one person that can then change that whanau or that family and then change the inheritance of that whole story yep. that family line. I yeah, love that, Brian. It's such a powerful story. Like I, I wish we had more time to really unpack all the details. Of, of, <laughs> I mean, just the story of how we got given the ship is oh, quite reckless. I mean, what was the story? story uh, sorry, the, the ship used for before? It was a delivery vessel to go to Pitkin Island. So it was about a 14-day sail from Tauranga, the businessman, Stony Creek Shipping. They had that contract. Four times a year they would go up and down to Pitkin Island, smallest nation in the world, I think 59 people. 59 last count. people, wow. And so he would be the supply vessel. He would take whatever up four times a year they needed, spend 40 days at sea, come back, then go again a couple of months later. So that contract ended. He no longer had need of the vessel and um, through his marine lawyer uh, connected to us and uh, gave it to us. And more than gave the vessel... Uh, at that point, gave over thirty thousand dollars of things, stuff between fuel and birthage fees, and has continued continued to walk with us, wow. and become a real friend of the mission. That's incredible. Um, yeah, it's really it's, it's incredible. What was your initial thought when you were approached with? Uh, well, when God started to speak to your heart, Marty, I want you to lead this ministry. I, I would have to repent if I told said it out loud on this podcast, James. So I would give the filtered. G-rated version, uh, no, quite strongly. 
Um, so the first time I was asked, no. The second time I was asked, absolutely not. The third time I was asked, you know, would you pray about it? Uh, really, really strongly beat no. Absolutely no interest at all. But what followed was six weeks of God speaking to me. God, the great communicator, the God that's always communicated throughout history past, has he communicated to me more clearly than any other season of my life. And it got to the point, it was like a Hosea 2 moment where it talks about how God said he would lead Israel and all these things. And then it said, I'll take you into the, I'll hem you in, I'll take you into the wilderness and there I'll speak to you tenderly. Mm. That was my season, that six-week season. So I got to mid-June and I just went, if this is a check game, a chess game, I'm in check. And I just went, okay, God, I'm in, but you got to speak to my wife. And that happened, that that week, that, that checkmate moment happened. I was in Kansas City at a conference and I was like, okay, Lord, if, if I'm here and you're speaking to me here, I need you to be speaking to her back in Tauranga. I get home from the trip and she's like, babe, God's been speaking. I think we need to do this. And the last hurdle was we felt to make sure our kids were okay with it. Wow. This is one of the coolest moments. That's awesome. I still reflect on this moment. You know, being YWAM parents, you know, we, we want to raise our kids a certain way. And you know, within our value system, which one of our values is to hear God and obey Him, eh? like that, yeah. that God still communicates. And if we're intentional with asking and listening, He'll speak. And uh, so it's probably the <laughs> area where we've got done the worst as parents with our kids. <laughs> I love my kids, they're incredible. Oh, but I, I just, love your kids, they're awesome. <laughs> you're awesome, James. So we had this great moment in the morning over breakfast, which was dumb because we never do this over breakfast. Breakfast in our family is chaos. And so like, right, kids, we need to meet. Come quick over breakfast. And, right, we need to hear God. You guys need to hear God. We feel God's, you know, there's opportunity. We feel to do it, but we want you to be okay. So let's wait on the Lord now. And hopefully you hear what we heard. We waited. You guys get anything? No, 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 no. Like total, like, can we go now? We've got to go to school. Okay, well, think about it. We'll talk at dinner. So dinner time. Guys, did you think about what we talked about this morning? Nah, nah, nah. Yeah, my four kids, not interested. Nah, nah. Okay, cool, let's pray right now. Hey, you get anything? Nah, nah. Then my daughter, my Asia Moana, she is just the, yeah, she's my little, she's my daddy's girl. She's like, Dad, I was, actually, Dad, I was thinking today. I said, Bobby, what were you thinking? I need to know what you were thinking. She said, Dad, I was thinking. Is this about helping people? And I just started weeping. I was like, Bobby, this is the very existence of the ship is to help people. She said, well, Dad, if it's about helping people, I feel like we should do it. I just was like, honey, that's what we needed to hear. Wow. She said, okay, Dad, let's do it. And everyone else is like, okay, yeah, sounds great. And I went, okay. And I've reminded her of that. I got to take her with me last year on an outreach yeah. in Fiji on yeah. the ship. I just said, hey, do you remember, remember what God spoke to you? It's because of what you heard, we said yes to this and look what God's doing. And mate, that week on the ship, I never saw my daughter. We shared a cabin. So I'd see her at six in the morning when I'd wake her up for ship shape for work duties. Yeah. And I'd see her at 10 p.m. when I'd finally drag her out of hanging out with the adults to make her go to bed. The rest of the day, I didn't know where she was. And at some points I'd have this freak out moment where I remembered I was still a parent and I'd just yell out on the ship, 
where's my daughter? And someone would yell out, she's in the village. And I'm like, is someone with her? They're like, yeah, she's with Lakin. She's with G. She's with... I went, okay, good, I guess. <laughs> she, the best kind of neglect. She loved it. And now she just wants to be a part of it. I love that, man. I love that you brought your kids into the journey. And mm. I think that's so important, isn't it? Is so often it's just mum and dad out on their mission. Yeah. The kids get dragged along. But there's something about it. And I think God's changing in the culture in, in our generation is... This idea of family on mission. Yeah. That it's the family together. And it's not necessarily the kids are doing all the stuff yeah. with mum and dad, but they're a part of it. Like yeah. you're giving voice to them. And that's it's so true. And I think for so us, that's one thing that's a value in why we made. We value families. Yeah. You know, we don't just want to see dad doing mission and mum and kids not. But it's amazing how subconsciously you default to that. Yeah. And I think that's for uncomfortable us. uncomfortable bringing your kids in it's often. It's awkward, especially when they get to school age. And then you try and figure out how to do all of this. And. But I just think that's been for us what we've learned is that's a value that you don't live out unintentionally. Like you can only live that value as a family intentionally. Yeah. Like you can't be passive and live out that value. And I think that's for us as our families grow and they've got older. So this year we're trying to take the whole family on one of the outreaches on the ship, all six of us to go and but the, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that works out. But come on, because we want our kids' hearts connected. Yeah, and so one one fun thing, our eight year old Izzy. Now he says his job, what he wants to do when he gets out of school, is to be a marine engineer and serve on the Koha. That's awesome. <laughs> Just, I mean, he's eight. We'll see what happens. But man, I love it. I'm like, boy, that's cool. You do your thing, man. Like Come if that's on, what bro. God's put in your heart, we're, I'm for that, Izzy. Go for it, boy. All other eight year olds are. I want to be a pro skateboarder. I want to be. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's like, no, I want to work a, a on a mission ship. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, he's he yeah, he dreams of YouTube too. Yeah, yeah. I've what, had a few videos on my phone I've had to delete. What are you doing? Oh, it's my YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different breed coming up, man. It's, it's awesome. It's so funny, eh? Oh, so good, man. I wish we had time today to sit and hear all the stories. But mm. uh, in the time that we do have, if you could share just maybe one story that's impacted you from the story of the Koha uh, mm. and maybe your time in Fiji um, and outreach, mm. maybe what, what, yeah, what story comes to mind for you? Yeah, I think that's really hard to answer, bro, because I think because uh, I, I would filter that through. Well, f- personally, there's multiple stories that have affected me and sustained me, um, but then there's heaps of corporate stories. Yeah. Um, one cool thing, one story that I love, real simple story from Fiji last year was uh, one of the villages we were in, there was a kid, uh, a, a young lady... Between, under 10, she was 6 to 8, I can't remember the exact age, but young. And the dentist saw her because she had extreme pain and basically afterwards that night over dinner, the dentist shared with the team on the ship, I wasn't there, but heard the story was that one whole side of the door, this young girl's mouth was full of plaque, so the, all the dentist could find was one rotten tooth, pulled that out, cleaned them up and the girl was fine. Uh, he said that that toothache must have been bugging that girl for well over a year because she hadn't been able to eat on that side of her mouth. So because that all the plaque built up and basically that one side of her mouth was just a mess. And he said that that what really caught him was for him that was a real simple procedure. Yeah. Like literally to clean the plaque off and take one tooth out was such, I mean, minutes. But that changed her life. Yeah. A couple of days later they were on land in the village and that girl ran up to the dentist, who I know he's a good man from my hometown, Wanganui, and 
just hugged him. Thank you, doctor. Thank you. And just was like, whoa, you're a different person. And I just think that that's the beautiful thing. The other cool story was um, in that same area where that was, when the ship came in there, uh, this was in the north of Fiji near an island called Kavewa, a tiny little island that no one goes to. Uh, no tourists. No tourists will ever go to Kavewa. They should. It's gorgeous. And the chief's granddaughter said to her mum as we came in, that the ship came into that harbour, said, Mum, something like Jesus has come, has come to our village. And I, I will never forget that. Like to me that wow. that's one of the drivers now. Yeah. Like realising in those isolated places the ability to bring hope just through presence, just through the ship being yeah. there, yeah. physically visible in their harbour where no one goes, there that little girl saw Jesus. Mate, that makes all the sleepless nights, all the grey hairs, all the anxiety, the pain, the weight worthwhile. Wow. For that girl to have that revelation, that encounter with God in that moment that I she'll never that. forget. Through a big rusty old ship. Well, a Jesus. small rusty. Small ship. rusty. Yeah. Getting less rusty. Big hopefully. boat, small ship. And she sees Jesus in that. I love that. Only God can do that, eh? The ways of God, man. That's so good, man. Well, one other moment, if I could share one more story. Absolutely. First yeah. personal that marked me. Um, yeah, I would say the first six months of, of being involved was mostly 100% obedience, no joy. Um, it was purely an act of obedience saying yes to being involved. Like everything in me wanted not to be involved. Uh but how I'm wired is when I know it's right, I just dive in. Even if I drown a little, I'll just dive in and I'll figure it out. I love pioneering. I love chaos. I love a lack of detail. Like I can, I can function in that space for a season. Um, but it was just it was really hard. And then the end of that first season, 2019, end of that year, pretty much everyone that was with the ship involved. In a helpful way, like in terms of actually meaningful contribution, was leaving. Um, so literally, twenty twenty January, I'm twenty. So first of January, twenty twenty. Really, it's me and this other young guy, Kiwi bloke Phil, that was working with us at the time. We're Absolute the only ones legend. left. Yeah, Phil's the man. Love the bro. He's such a cool guy. Um, it was literally me and him left, with lots of people excited around that several people excited around us but actual functionally day-to-day i'm in with just two of us i've never dreaded a year starting like 2020 like in a 29 i am petrified of 2020 i'm a very optimistic person like i love tomorrow because tomorrow's exciting like tomorrow's just opportunity i've never had anxiety about tomorrow so to finish 2019 and have anxiety or fear, like complete dread. It was really unnatural mm. for me. Mm. Um, so the start of 2020 as a furnace community, we went did the staff retreat, um, did a week away together. It was, in hindsight, one of probably the most profound leadings of the Lord to us as a community ever, you know, because we had seven days in isolation on a place called Great Barrier Island in New Zealand, just out from Auckland, Arama. Yeah. Uh, a real historic place in the body of Christ in New Zealand, a historic place to YWAM globally. Um, lots of things birthed out of this place. So we spent a week there as a community, 100 of us went, 
you know, that was COVID year, so two months later we're locked down. Wow. But we had this wild time of being family together. Yeah. And there was one session, we had a real matriarch in YWAM, beautiful lady from Canada, Donna Jordan, come out that week and minister to us. Oh, Mama Donna, she's just one of the greats, man. Oh, One of the sessions she was sharing, and I'll never forget this because it has held me to this day. Yeah. Uh, she's sharing and at some point I get lost because the Lord just starts talking to me. So I'm just starting taking notes on my iPad and Lord, I mean, I could read you the in my journal what he spoke to me that day. But it was really out of that moment of Peter when Jesus calls Peter out of the boat and um, Peter, come. You know, He says, if it's you, Master, call me and I'll come to you. And uh, which is a, it's a picture I've really spent a lot of time thinking about. Mm. It's amazing how many ship or boat analogies there are in the Gospels yeah. through the whole the biblical narrative, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and in this encounter with the Lord, sitting in this room, Journaling it, the Lord just says, Marty, I'm asking you to step out of the boat. Um, and he said, well, I need you to stop focusing on everything you're not wow. and what you can't do because I was pretty good at I could tell you everything I couldn't do. There was lots, still lots I can't do. Um, pretty unimpressive when you get to know me like a pretty simple guy. I never would have thought, I'm Marty. a one-string guitar, Jimmy. Um, but... Uh, you just got to be good at playing what you've got, eh? That's right. So play that one string unto the Lord. Um, <laughs> but uh, he just said, let me be everything you're not. He said, all I'm asking you to do this year is to hold my hand and don't let go. I will teach you to walk on water. Wow. Because the profound thing about Peter in that moment is unlike any other disciple, he stepped out of the boat. Even though there was a storm raging, he stepped out of the boat and he walked on water. But we never talk about that because we're mm. so pessimistic. We just mm. talk about his unbelief that he sunk. But we forget the fact that in human history, two men have walked on water. Yeah. One was Peter. Mm. And no matter how we think about Peter, no other disciple stepped out of that boat. But he walked on water till he got distracted, till he saw and paid attention to what was around him. Mm. Then he sunk, which is quite a profound thing to think about. Mm -hmm. And so that moment, that encounter shifted everything for me because yeah. I just said to Jesus in that moment, I know how to hold your hand and not let go. Like wired in me is old school moxie, like that resiliency to not let go. That was yeah. hardwired in me from a young age. Yeah. I know how to not let go. So I just said to Jesus, I can do. I don't know how to do anything else. But I will hold your hand and I will not let go. And in that moment, all I can say is peace flooded my soul. And it hasn't left. And hope came and I went, okay, let's do this. And now I sit here three years later and I just giggle. The pressure's still there, the weight's still there. And I see the weight transferred to a multitude of people now, and a lot of people carry that weight. And so now I feel more the weight of them carrying weight because I want to be sure people are okay. Like I just – I don't want to do ministry where people get crushed. It's mm -hmm. one of my greatest mm -hmm. fears. I've seen that too many times. Yeah. I don't want the trail behind us, the wake behind us to be broken people, yeah. destroy people, crushed by ministry. Um, that so keeps me up at night. Yeah. But uh, the joyful thing is seeing God – 
be God. And what he said to me in that moment, I've watched him do time and time and time and time again. Yeah. Just makes me fall in love with Jesus every day. So good, bro. Mm. Well, I just uh, That's all the time that we have today, unfortunately. But I just want to say thank you so much, Marty, for just coming on and just sharing your heart and being so vulnerable. And I, I really hope for, for those listening that uh, if, if you've taken away anything from this conversation uh, is, is really just that obedience mm. to the Lord is what matters most, is, is, is our love for him expressed through obedience. And sometimes that obedience is... It's is simple, and I just love that about you, Marty. Mm. Just like you say, simple. I mean, simple is is best, right? Keep mm. it simple. Keep it simple, uh, and and just keep holding on to him, and uh, and keep keep looking at Jesus as we go. I just wonder, maybe Marty, if you could just finish in prayer uh, yeah, for those absolutely. listening, would be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, thank you today, God, for who you are. Thank you for what you do. Lord, I just pray for anyone listening today, God, that they may be in a crisis of faith or that crossroads of obedience, God, where you've had me so many times. And I just pray today, God, you would make your leadership so obvious and so clear. God, would you come in power? Would you come in strength? But gentleness, God, thank you that you can be all of that simultaneously and it's not hard for you. So I just pray that over everyone listening today, God, would you move us out of unbelief and passivity into full, wholehearted obedience and surrender to you. Because you're worthy, God. You're worth it all. You're worthy of it all. And I just pray that for everyone, God. They would just know that sense of being able to hold your hand and not let go. Pray for those that are weary from holding your hand. Would you strengthen them today? Those that have weak knees from standing, God, strengthen them today. God, those that need a release of faith today, just to believe again, would you release that? Those that need fresh hope, God, to get up and go again, God, would you fill them today? In Jesus' name, we bless you. Thank you for what you're doing. We love you. Amen.